All right, so 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7 is where we are this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7 is where we're landing this morning. We have Bibles in the seats for you, and if you don't have one at home, just take that one that's in the seat and bring it home. Uh, One thing we love to do around here is go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we're doing that this summer by walking through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, We land in a passage today that for many people in modernity is a difficult text. It's a text on marriage, and it's a difficult text on marriage, but nonetheless, here it sits in the middle of our Bible. There are words given to us by God for our good and for his glory, and so I'm going to preach with that kind of confidence that God is good, and this is his word, and he has something for us. Now, before we read our passage this morning, I want to remind us of something that's very important, in case we've forgotten, and that is that Peter loves these people that he's talking to. I don't know if you've heard that as we've read through this book and worked through this book, but I hope you hear it. I want to remind you, Peter loves these people. He wants only the best for these people, and he wants only the best for their marriages as well. Just a few weeks ago, I got to officiate the wedding of a guy named Chris Gill and his bride, Ashley. Many of you guys know Chris because he interned with us last summer through our Center for Ministry Training. Just a great guy, and he slept on many of your couches or cat sat for many of you while you were on vacation. And uh, back in the spring of 2009, I started to uh, spend time with this guy, Chris, and started to answer a lot of his questions that he had uh, concerning the Bible and Jesus and Christianity. And just he had a lot of hard questions. We walked through the Bible for quite some time, several months, until it just clicked for him, and he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you have done this as well yourself, that you have uh, continually shared your faith in Jesus with somebody. You prayed hard for that person, and by God's grace, faith emerged, and they became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you know, like I have for Chris, you have that affection for that person that you've shared your, your faith with, that you have this unique relationship with them. The Apostle Paul refers to that relationship as his children. He calls people he led to the faith his, his children because it's this unique and, and strong kind of affection that you have for these people. And this is the kind of relationship that I've had over the past few years with Chris. And then walking Chris and his, his bride-to-be, Ashley, through their premarital counseling and then officiating their, their, their wedding, I worked really hard to ensure that these two were ready for marriage because I wanted the, the best for them. And, and know that this is the, the kind of posture that, that Peter takes in this letter to these people scattered all over Asia Minor. And, and there, there's a possibility that even these recipients of this letter were, were present at Peter's very first sermon. If you recall in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, it says that the people that were, were present there were people from Cappadocia, from Pontius and from Asia, among other people, and that day 3,000 people gave their lives uh, to Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, as we open up the book, we saw that this letter is addressed to people from Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, along with Galatia and Bithynia. And so whether or not some of these recipients were there at that very first sermon or not, whether or not they're actual literal children in the faith of Peter, he has in his apostleship this posture 
of pastoral care and love and affection for these people. He deeply loves these people. And he also relates with them in a really unique way because they're under the the persecution of the wicked Roman emperor Nero, and he's under the same persecution. In fact, history tells us that he goes on to die under Nero, and tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified uh, just like his Lord Jesus. And so these people are being pushed out of their homes by Nero. They're having property taken away. They're being physically tortured, wrapped in animal skins, and sent dogs after them. They're, they're being uh, beaten. They're being killed. People are dying. People are losing family. It was an awful, awful scenario that they were in. And Peter's objective is to provide hope for these people. Now, with all of that in view, let's read our passage, First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. With hope in view, he says this, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, many contemporary readers find this passage disturbing and oppressive. Which is crazy because Peter's readers found this encouraging and freeing. And Peter spoke out of love and he spoke out of a desire to inject hope into their lives. He wanted to help these people to display the hope of Jesus to the world around them. And one of the greatest joys that I have of pastoring a church that is largely full of young people, is I get to perform many, many weddings. And, and for many of these weddings that, that I get to uh, officiate, there's a lot of people in the, 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 the chapel or the church building or outside or at the venue who are there who are not Christians. They don't know the Lord. They don't follow the Lord. And so this, for many of them, is the closest thing they'll ever get to hearing some kind of sermon. And I'll often quote Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus says, Let your light Shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Because here's the reality. For lots of our people, their wedding and their marriage is the closest that some people will ever get to Jesus. And so Ephesians chapter 5 will tell us that the the selfless and the sacrificial covenant relationship and commitment that Christians have in marriage, displays to the world the kind of love that Christ has for his church. And so one powerful contribution that we as a church can make to our community, to our city, is scattering across this community and scattering across this city healthy and holy marriages. That is a huge contribution that we make. And history will tell us that as the the people of God Scattered throughout the the Roman Empire, they lived out these commands. And within 300 years, by living out these commands, the people of God were able to change the Roman Empire. I mean, just flip the Roman Empire upside down. 
one of the greatest world powers of all time. And it wasn't great preachers, it was scattered Christians throughout the empire, living out words like 1 Peter chapter 3, and letting their light shine before others, as Jesus himself said. And I want you to know something. This still can happen today. I don't know if we believe that or not, but it can still happen today. In fact, just this week, I was sitting over coffee with a guy downtown, and he gave it all to Jesus, right there, sobbing over the coffee table. He gave it all to Jesus. You know where we met? At one of these weddings that I'm telling you about. You know what one major, profound impact that was on him? was one of the couples within our church family. It still happens today. More than my messages, it's your marriages. My messages are in here. Your marriages are out there in neighborhoods, and they make a profound impact. And so this passage, I don't know how you've heard it preached or taught to you over the years, but this passage is primarily about you as a spouse being able to proclaim Christ with holy actions in your marriage. That's what the passage is all about. Let's make sure we get that. That's what it's all about. It's about impacting non-believers, whether outside of your marriage or or inside of your marriage, a non-Christian spouse. This passage is all about impacting non-believers, non-Christians. And so it's frustrating to me when Christians hijack this passage and make it all about one thing. And what is the one thing? Submission. That's all it's about for so many Christians. Let's reread verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so what is he talking about? He's talking about women converts who began to follow Jesus before their husband begins to follow Jesus. And that's not uncommon, is it? In fact, that's very, very common. I personally have never seen a husband and wife come to faith and start to follow Jesus at the exact same time because they're two individual people with two individual wills. So I I personally, maybe you have, and and it's possible, but I personally have never seen that take place. Now, let's think about the, the context here because, listen, when we study the Scripture, context is key. It is so easy to take passages of scripture and just take them out of context and apply them to us today but we have to understand the context it's so important and i believe that for us understanding the context here is going to help you to see this passage not as oppressive but as affirming according to to plutarch he's this non-christian greek historian of their day he he said that in the in the greco-roman society it was unacceptable for a wife to worship a god other than that of her husband In fact, she couldn't even have friends apart from those friends that are her husband's friend. And so there was this culture uh, in non-Jewish, Greco-Roman society that that if you were to, to break that cultural taboo, it would bring shame upon your husband. It would just bring a lot of shame upon your husband according to their cultural standards. Definitely not necessarily right, but it would bring shame upon the husband. So why are, are six verses here of this passage given to the wife and only one to the husband? Is it because the Christian faith was this awful, wicked, oppress, oppressive uh, uh, institution towards women? No, that's not it at all. The reason there's six verses, verses one, given is because the impact 
of the wife converting before her husband converts was much more difficult than that of a husband converting before his wife. Does that make sense? And so that's why it's so important that he gives six verses here. Both the husband and the society would have seen her conversion as rebellion. Especially when you consider the fact that our Christian faith tells us that Jesus is the only way. And so she could not begin to worship Jesus and continue to worship the God or gods of her husband. And so she could say, well, forget my husband. I'm a Christian now and I'm just going to worship Jesus, and I'm going to persistently just tell him about Jesus. He needs Jesus, 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 Jesus. Well, in that culture, that persistence would have come across as persistently antagonizing, rebelling against your husband. And so, in this particular case, silence and gracious conduct is so much better than just straight-up normal communication as we see it. It's It's a great form of communication, Silence and and gracious conduct towards him where she would show love towards him. She would submit to his leadership. She would be respectful and she would direct pure conduct towards him and let him see how Jesus has changed her life rather than simply telling all the time about how he has changed her life. And some of you, currently, this is your situation. Some of you. And, And I understand it is not easy and, and God's going to give you the strength? And you might ask, well, what if he's harsh to me? What does 1 Peter chapter 2, 13-25 say, as we looked at last week? It says you honor him still. What's the big thrust of, of last week? Is that submission is about honoring God, not about the person's worthiness of honor. You're honoring through them, and you're ultimately using it to honor the Lord. And we do so under the example of Jesus himself, right, as we saw at the end of that passage last week, who honored God the the Father and his plan for the cross by not reviling in return when he was reviled, by not threatening in return when he suffered, by committing no sin is what it, it tells us. And if Jesus can do it, you can do it. Because his mistreatment was the greatest injustice of all time. And if he can do it, you can do it. He hung on the cross He honored his oppressors. He even said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we can do it when mistreated in our relationships. We can do it. Now, I need to say this. This is very important. Hear me, please. Is that if you are in an abusive relationship, remove yourself. Come out from under that abuse immediately. I mean, immediately. Let us know. We will help you even if we need to do it today we will help you You should not be in an abusive relationship come out from under that in fact i think peter speaks against that as we keep going forward come out from that now some might say well why didn't peter just shut the mistreatment of women down why didn't he just shut it down altogether just speak against it altogether well, understand that, that in this context, this would not lead to social transformation. It just would not. If he just started blasting it, it would not lead to social transformation. In fact, what it would do is it would just inflame the ancient accusation that, that Christianity was a social evil, right? Because we're encouraging women to rebel, right? Instead, what he does is he very carefully and very strategically paves the way for social transformation, 
Jesus does this. His followers do it time and time again. What they do is they're soft enough not to create an avalanche that would just crush the listeners, right? Soft enough not to create an avalanche, but loud enough to be heard. It's this real careful balance that they strike up. Think about how Jesus and his followers did it. Jesus himself had close female disciples. As a rabbi, that was, that was pretty taboo. When the men stood around the woman who got caught in adultery and they were ready to stone her because that's what they were supposed to do, right? What does he say? He says, if you're without sin, cast the first stone. And slowly they all drop the stones and they walk away and he upholds this, this woman. Paul himself, follower of Jesus, says there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. Luke, in his gospel account, he includes eyewitness testimony of women. That didn't even hold up in the court of law in that day. Luke says, no, they were there. See, they weren't just slamming, slamming, right? They're all paving the way carefully, strategically for social transformation. Softly, yet loudly at the same time. And Peter does so here. One, by addressing women and slaves. In that day, Greek moral philosophers would have never addressed women or slaves in their literature. Peter does. Another thing that Peter does is he gives these ladies a viable means to change the heart of their mistreaters by verse 2 saying, win them without a word. This is how it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. And maybe you've seen it in your own life. I know I have. See a spouse changed by Jesus. You may, it says, if you do this, you may. There's no guarantee, but you may see your spouse changed by Jesus as you give honor. And it's real hope. It's real hope that he's giving you. You could see their, their hearts change. And so, there's a case for social transformation here. Peter is delivering a message of hope. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope. And his readers would have read it that way. They would have totally read it that way. They wouldn't have found it disturbing and oppressive. They would have found it encouraging and, and, and free. And that was the intention of this passage. Now, that being said, at the same time, we need to understand that Christian women are called to be subject to the leadership of their husband. Not that they don't have a voice. If you're a Christian husband and you lead by silencing your wife, you just expect them to do whatever in the world you want them to do, you better hold on because Peter's about to bring it to you in verse 7. We don't lead husbands because we're smarter or because we're better You better take time to to hear her because her input is invaluable. We lead not because we're better or because we're smarter or because we're more capable. We lead because Jesus called us to lead. And leadership can be hard, right? Leadership is difficult. Leadership is a burden to bear. Some of you men know the feeling of staying up at night, thinking about how am I going to provide for my family. It's a burden that you bear, much like a a leader in a military troop will go out and he runs the risk of stepping on the landmines first, right? Because he's the leader. And that's what God wants us to do. We gladly take on this burden and we serve our wives in this way. Under the example, Ephesians chapter 5, of Christ, who was selfless and humble and loving in his leadership, servant leadership. Not like King David who got himself in trouble when he started leading from the throne rather than being out in battle like he used to do when he was successful he led from the throne and he got tripped up big time didn't he he didn't go out to battle he sent the guys out and he got all messed up 
in adultery and messed up his family and generations to come. It was all messed up. We take the lead and we serve selflessly, humbly under the example of Jesus. And so, Christian women, you can honor God by following your husband's lead, even if he fumbles around in leadership. And trust me, he is going to fumble around in leadership. But you can humbly follow because you trust God. And because your following is not because he's so worthy of your honor, but it's because God is worthy of your honor, and you honor God by honoring him. Peter goes on, and he speaks about adornment. And this is something that we all need to hear. Tons of, tons of us need to hear this, but look at verses 3 and 4. He speaks about adornment. He says, Do not let your adornment be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Instead, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. So he's not saying simply, do not ever externally adorn yourself. Husbands, you can say amen to that, right? We like our, our wives to look nice, right? That's good. Rather, he's saying, do not let your adornment merely be external. Have you ever met somebody who's hot on the outside, but man, they're cold as ice on the inside? You know what I'm talking about? You ever met that person? Saying, be concerned about the inner virtues. Now, here's, here's a simple way to evaluate. James, in, in his uh, little book there, James, James says that the Bible is like a mirror. And we look at the Bible like a mirror, and it tells us who we are and, and, and what God has for us in his future and what we can look like in him. The Bible is like our mirror. So here's a simple way to evaluate. Which mirror do you spend more time in front of? The Bible or the one hanging on the wall in your bathroom? That's a great way to evaluate. Proverbs chapter 31, 30 says this, says, charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. The woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You ever feel that? Beauty is fleeting and our culture is just doing everything we can to bring it back in and if you rub this cream on your face, you're going to look 20 years younger. It's like just slipping through your fingers and you just want it so bad. Somebody said, Josh, when you hit 30, it's over, my man. No matter how hard you run, it's over. I'm, man, I'm just going to say, I was running yesterday, and I was thinking about my high school one-mile time, and I said, man, I'm a bum. It's just fleeting. You just get wrinkly and old, and it just happens, right? Pursue things that are important for all eternity, and that is the inner adornment of the heart. And again, this was affirming for these ladies. It was liberating for these ladies, and it was a way that Peter was practically caring for these ladies in a very practical way. Because Peter's view on, on adornment, you know, it wasn't just distinctively Christian, by the way. It was also Jewish. So the Old Testament speaks to this. We just quoted Proverbs 31.30. But also it, was, it, it paralleled uh, Greek moral philosophy of the day that said that external adornment uh, was often seen as tools for seduction. Right? Not totally unlike today. So, so practically, if Christian women were going to, to leave their home and they were going to go to worship if their husband wasn't a follower of Jesus, it could easily be interpreted as further antagonizing the husband by putting on this adornment. Is, what's she trying to do right now? Is she trying to be sneaky? Is she being deceitful? So she's going to worship uh, without him. That alone would be difficult in the day, but going outwardly adorned ruffled even more feathers and raised more eyebrows. A woman who worshipped contrary to her husband in that day would often just get kicked to the curb. 
We're not talking about Jewish. We're not talking about Christian. We're talking about Greco-Roman society. She would get kicked to the curb out of here. And oftentimes, along with her daughters who, was, who were paralleled with, with her. And so Peter says, listen, don't let outward adornment be your mark. He's, he's protecting her. He's saying, when you go to worship, don't go all decked out. You're going to raise more eyebrows. You could get yourself in, in a lot of trouble. I, I just pray that we, we feel the weight of this. That we're, we're living our lives to honor the Lord. For him to look at us and say, beautiful. Not for the favor of other people. They look at us and, and by their world standards say that we're beautiful, whether it's the hair, the jewelry, or the clothing, or the makeup, or the, the thigh gap, or, or, or the, the beach body, or whatever it is. God values the heart, right? God values the heart. He sees your true beauty, even if you feel like nobody else does. So we're busy taking selfies today. That's the... Apparently, that's the word of 2013 was selfie. You know, we're busy taking all our, our selfies. Let's take a selfie of the heart rather than all looking glammed up. Let's take a selfie of the heart and just evaluate. Are you adorned inwardly? That's what God wants for you. Peter goes on. Look at verses 4 and 5, chapter 3. Or 5 and 6. He says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So again, this passage is intended to provide hope, but I'm sure that many people heard one thing. Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. Now, if this makes you angry, let me remind you about the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we actually have Abraham obeying Sarah three times. He's hearing her input, and he's listening. The point is that, that Greek philosophers would set up all these kind of women in their writings for, for role models. And he's saying, listen, along with your new identity in Christ, you need to understand, ladies, that you are grafted into the family of the Jewish matriarch, Sarah. It's a beautiful thing. This is a great role model for, for you. And when her husband made mistakes, and man, he made some mistakes, didn't he? Hey, babe, uh, just, just pretend like you're my sister for a little while. Uh, just stupid stuff, right? She followed his lead, and God blessed her for it over time. So ladies, how can you honor him? How can you honor him? How can your conduct be more pure? How can your conduct be more gracious at home? How can you be more respectful? How can you be more loving? How can you, when he reviles, not revile in, in return? How, how can you do that? Because God may use this, according to Scripture, to, to turn his heart. There's real hope in that. It's not this kind of false, floaty, in the sky kind of hope. It's real hope. Time and time and time again, the faith blew up in this day at a rate that nobody had ever seen before. Thousands, tens of thousands of people just coming to faith in Jesus. And it wasn't just couples, boop, boop, two at a time. Like walking into the ark, walking into faith. It was one at a time, and then one of them had to be honoring in their conduct, helping the other one to come to faith. So how can you do that at home? We're in this microwave society, you know. I don't think I can remember life without a microwave, and and some of you can but I remember when, when microwaves first came out, people were real skeptical of microwaves. Like, what is that? It's like computer chips and craziness. I don't know. And, and now it's just everybody has a microwave. We put something in it, 
And now we can't even wait for 30 seconds. I mean, I hit 30, add 30 seconds, I'm just like, come on. It's like not fast enough, right? That's our culture, right? At the same time, when it comes to seeing the heart of your spouse turn, it might not be a month, it might not be a year, it might not be a decade. Be patient and live out the command of the Lord here. And be encouraged. Press on. God sees you. He knows your heart. He loves you. He says, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Let's do this. Let's keep going. Press on. Now, one last verse to husbands and to future husbands, and I think a statement to men in general. Let's look at verse 7. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So he makes it really clear. Your leadership, men, in the home is not licensed to mistreat, right? Not at all. On the contrary, Peter addresses the the prevailing Greco-Roman perspective of the inferiority of women. And he says, no, he says, They are heirs with you of the grace of life. So your internal inheritance, they have that internal inheritance if they they trust in Jesus. He refers to to women as weaker vessels, and so people go, oh, no, he didn't right now. Did he just say that? Think of it like this. We think of it, and we've done this before here. We think of it like fine china. And at home, you know where I put my weaker vessels, my fine china? Put it in the hutch on the top shelf. Because we love it, we cherish it, we want to protect it, care for it. You know where I put my coffee tumblers? In this cabinet right beside the, the sink. Whenever it seems like when I open the cabinet door on uh, mornings before work, they just fall out and just crash on the ground because I do just shove stuff in this particular cabinet because we're not super concerned about what's going in there. The reality is nine times out of ten, if you drop a, a coffee tumbler and find China, coffee tumbler is going to win right? Not that either of those vessels is more valuable. Just one is more fragile. They have different functions, but we protect the the weaker, and he instructs husbands. She's a weaker vessel. We care for her. We protect her. We don't misuse her, mistreat her. We honor her. We live with her in an understanding way and honor her, put her up on the top shelf of life as the weaker vessel. And it's interesting. Live with her in an understanding way. Men, we have got to study our wives. We've got to study our wives and understand her. She's complex, right? You're like, yeah, amen. She is complex. Seek to understand her heart and to honor her. And our our society kind of has this backwards, don't we? I know many men are obsessed with sports, and we could watch Sports Center for hours on end and you're studying the players, and you're watching what they do and how they work and function. And in sports and in, in business, we, we've, we've been trained to find weaknesses, right? And then capitalize. That's how we're going to win, right? We go in and capitalize on the weakness. So if the, the, the batter has trouble with inside low pitches, where are you going to pitch it? Inside and low, right? We capitalize on the, the, the weaknesses. Unfortunately, this oftentimes will carry over into how men treat women. We capitalize on weakness. We exploit weakness to get what we want. Whether it's men physically intimidating and overpowering women 
or emotionally doing that. I'm going to study her. I'm going to learn her soft spot. I'm going to go at that so I can get what I want. And you know what you want. That's not honor, is it? That's exploitation. You study her and you know her heart so that you can serve her. If you're an unmarried lady today, that's what you're looking for, by the way. Someone who will serve you and cherish you and care for you. And some of you get in this ugly cycle of just the same type loser. You're better than that. God's got a plan for you, for goodness. Man, we've got to teach our sons. I say this over and over and over again because I really believe it. I'm convinced that our number one problem in our society today is men. It's men. Selfish. They're, they're manipulating. Misguided priorities. It's a lot of men. And the truth is it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, right? So we've got to teach the young pups, right? We've got to teach our, our, our sons. If I can brag for a second, let me brag. My oldest son, Isaiah, um, he's, a, he's a smart kid. I mean, he, he really is a smart kid. Math is, is really easy for him. He's practically been balancing my checkbook since age five. I mean, it's just ridiculous. No, he, he does household math for us all the time. So my wife and I will have some number that comes, and we just go, Isaiah, he just throws it out there. I mean, since he was five, it's mind-blowing here. The problem is with his teacher, you remember this? She says, you have to show your work, buddy. You can't just give me the answer. You've got to show me how you came up with the answer. He just looks at the equation and says, well, here's the answer, right? And just crazy numbers. Quickly, it's, it's unbelievable. He just does it in his head. And I, so that's why I just say, I don't need a calculator. I got, my, I got my son, right? But his teacher says, I want to know how you got there. You need to figure out how you got there. And he says, who cares, right? It doesn't matter. I got it right, didn't I? And he gets so frustrated. He's like, I'm right. Who cares? I mean, I get that. Fellas. Don't let this be you in your marriage. And so often, we care about just what's on the other side of the equal sign. Like, all of this equals this. If I do all of this, my wife will let me go out with the other guys. If I do all of this, my wife will get off my back and stop nagging me. If I do all of this, I get sex. If I do all of this, I have a happy wife. And we say stupid things like, happy wife, happy life, right? But listen, show your work. Show your work. You don't just try to get here. You've got to know why these things lead to here. Why does all of this make her happy? Why does all of this make her feel close enough to be intimate to you? Why does all of this satisfy her? you got to know your wife. Turn off the TV and start talking to her. Turn off SportsCenter and start talking to her. What is she anxious about? What is she praying about? What is she lying awake at night anxious about? What is she reading in her Bible? What are her questions about God? You go get the answers. What are her insecurities? What are her, her fears? Study your wife. Know your wife. Just like you did when you first met her. We, did, we were really good at that when we first met her. We tried to win her heart. Then you got a ring on it and you're all good, right? No, you've got to study your wife. She's an amazing, complex woman. Now, ladies, you've got to let them try. You've got to let them give it a shot. You've got to let them fumble around. 
even today, tomorrow, the rest of this week. Oh, sure, now that Josh said that, go for it. Uh-huh. No. Hey, he's giving it an effort, right? Honor his effort, right? Honor his effort and let him try to honor you. Not perfectly. We strive to be like Christ. I mean, really, can we be like Christ? Christ in us, the hope of glory, but not our actions to earn his favor. Let me just, let me ask you, and let's just close out this way. Can you imagine if we all lived this way? If we all live this way in how we relate with people, in how we relate in our relationships, can you imagine? First of all, we would all be more satisfied, right? And that's Peter's hope, right? He wants to encourage you. He wants the best for you. That's why he writes this stuff, not to be oppressive or demeaning. He knows that this is how God has designed us, and we can thrive in this relationship. He wants the best for us in the midst of difficulty. And these people are in some serious difficulty like we have never known, right? And if we all lived this way also, we would make an impact. Wouldn't we make an impact if we all lived this way? Marriage is scattered all over the place. We make an impact to a spouse who doesn't know Christ and for people who know no gospel other than your marriage, we could make a tremendous impact, couldn't we? Let's take seriously the Apostle Paul's exhortation in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He says this. He says, conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders. And let's do that with our marriages, being mindful that people are looking on They want to see that Jesus has died and resurrected, and there's proof of that. Not with some scientific experiment, but with your life change. With us living differently, with us living distinctively, with us two imperfect people being able to love each other sacrificially and selflessly till the day one of us dies. That's how we're going to make a great impact. That's how the gospel exploded. was people living out the words of the book of 1 Peter in the midst of heavy persecution. That's what we need. Let me pray. Father, thanks so much for your word. Your word is truth. And it speaks to us in a real way, and I pray that you have given us some real, tangible ways to go and to live out your scripture that we would not be hearers only, but we would be doers of the word. And that we would make an impact for some of us within our marriage, some of us in a future marriage, some of us, our marriage being placed in the midst of office mates who just talk negatively about their spouses, and we're going to honor. And in a neighborhood, we're going to stand out. A sports team for our children, we're going to stand out. In the PTA, we're going to stand out. In the parks, we're going to love our kids well. And we scatter, Father, after we've gathered here. And go and be salt of the earth. And people would see our good works and they would glorify our Father in heaven. And it's because of Jesus. Because you have forgiven us of so much. How could we hold anything against each other? And God, if there's anybody in this room today who has never given their lives to Jesus Christ, they've never seen that you have done for them what they couldn't do for themselves, that you lived the perfect life 
and you died on the cross, the death that we deserve, not you, in our place as our substitution. And you resurrected to life and you're king and you call us to follow you and to trust in you. I pray that people would do that today. They would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And do whatever work you need to do in our hearts, Father. May we respond throughout the course of the remainder of our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.